Welcome to Champagne Problems. We are your hosts, Robbie Shaw and Patrick Balsley. Thank you for joining us on this journey as we explore our mental health, well-being, performance, and longevity, and how our relationships with alcohol can influence each. No shame, no labeling, no judgment, just curiosity. Welcome back, beautiful souls. Today we're speaking with Emily Fletcher. Emily is the author of bestseller, Stress Less, Accomplish More, and is the founder of the Ziva Technique, a powerful combination of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting designed to improve your personal and professional performance, clarity, health, and sleep. Emily has been featured on and worked with the biggest names out there, like New York Times, Good Morning America, Today Show, Apple, Google, and the Harvard Business School. In Emily's words, the Ziva Technique was created to help you get better at life, not just meditation. And I have to say, since communicating with Emily, we have dug into the Ziva Technique, and you all should give it a try. It is truly life-changing. So let's talk to Emily. Emily Fletcher, welcome to Champagne Problems. You know, I have always wanted to be on a show called Champagne Problems, and here I am. <laughs> Forever. You've wanted this. I the manifestation it. works. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's right. Manifestation at its finest. Yeah. Thanks for making my dreams come true. Well, we you are super it. excited to have you on. Super excited. Um, know of you, know of Ziva, know of what you've created. Very excited to dig in and hear all of your... Mm, the foundation, the process, the passion, all the things. We're very excited about it. Your, uh, your work, your expertise is exactly what our show is designed to highlight. So pardon, if pardon us if we're super giddy over here. I prefer it. It <laughs> really brings giddy? out the best in me. <laughs> all right. So we're going to get to know you a little bit. Some rapid fire questions. Yeah. Yeah, has nothing to do with anything professional. Just super weird. Just super weird. Okay. No. All right, here we go. What was your first live music concert, and where was it? Oh, well, mm -hmm. I remember the Indigo Girls, and mm -hmm. I was in high school, and it was at the Moon, and that's the one that comes to mind, and it was just life changing. I love them so much. But then the other memory that flashed in was I went to pick up my sister at a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert, also at the Moon in Tallahassee, Florida. And I saw my first couple French kissing. I was like four, I was like with my mom or whatever. And I was like, that looks painful. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> that looks icky. Oh, that's really good. What food is your guilty pleasure? Oh, I'm really, really embarrassed and ashamed to admit this. <laughs> Say it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the word shame, y'all. Oh um, God. Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah, it's the best. It's one of the best. It's not that it, the taste is amazing. I'm just morally opposed to their politics. Understood. So yeah. that's Understood. where that's where the shame comes from. Understood. <laughs> it's th that conflict is riddled through the s southeast. <laughs> it's real. It's a real conflict. <laughs> it's major. It's like Polynesian sauce or activism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God, I only do it on road trips when I'm in dire need. That's that's how I've weirdly justified it to myself, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to hold up in morality court. <laughs> All right. If you could know the answer to any question in the world, what would you ask? How do I make people want to heal? Mm, that's great. I guess I don't want to make them. How do I get people to want to heal? Yeah. Yeah. It just, my best friend said to me the other day, she said, not everyone wants to heal. And I was like, 
what? <laughs> like, like it was like, like news flash. I was like, what do you yeah. mean? Not everyone wants to heal. And then I've been thinking about it ever since. I was like, Fuck, she's right. <laughs> yes, yeah. they do. They just don't know it. They just don't know it. Yeah. Okay. Fair. That's right. Fair. Oh, there's God. my answer. I could talk about that for a while. Yeah. Let's let's move on. move on. Move on. Move <laughs> on. If someone were to warn us about you, what would they say? Yeah. <laughs> Dangerously <laughs> charming. What is it? Dangerously charming. Oh, man. I can borderline see that. manipulative. I that. Well, I because I can use it to manipulate. Oh yeah. Do you? I have. Have you? I have. You I mean, have. we're all manipulating everything all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. yep. All the time. That's how we manifest. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, who is the funniest person you know and why? Oh. oh, my friend Meredith Smith. She and I went to high school together and then she worked at The Daily Show. And now she she used to run Steve Carell's production company. She's like legit, like an executive in the comedy business oh, now. Wow. But, you know, you didn't know that in high school. You were just like, yeah. whoa, like you're just so hysterical. funny. <laughs> and, and now it's just so fun to watch like the world get to witness her, her majesty because it just, it's just like what it's like breathing for her. Jokes are like breathing and it's been such a masterclass being her friend. Oh, wow. That's super cool. That I've actually awesome. been really lucky. I, I ended up uh, in Amsterdam at a, with a bunch of friends in Boom Chicago, which is an, it's like a Chicago-based improviser group that's based in Amsterdam. And I got to be really good friends with Brendan Hunt, um, Jason Sudeikis, Kay Cannon, Jordan Peele, Seth Meyers. They were oh all my there God. at the same time. Wow. No and way. I was like, it was like, and again, none of them were famous yet. You're just like, yeah. what's going on? Y'all are amazing. So I've had really good, uh, good luck with comedy in my life. That's insane. So I lived in New York and did comedy. Oh. And I did and I took improv classes and I and I used to go to Ask Cat 3000 and watch uh Seth Myers and Amy Poehler and Tina Fey before they got famous. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, it's Love really it. such a special skill and so valuable. It's so valuable and it's beyond comprehension for me. Like I think I'm pretty funny. I can be. Those people are another world. They're, they're playing a different sport. I actually, because of Brendan, um, he invited me to improvise at Second City, which is was the the breeding yeah. ground for SNL. Oh yeah. And I, you could you could do anything. You could fall down, and they would make art out of it. And I've never <laughs> felt so held. I've never felt so creatively held as I did in that moment, which is like, oh, I am I am being cradled by masters. Oh, that's so cool. The creative process. Mm -hmm. That mm. is really cool. All right. Emily, now we know you. No. What great rapid fire questions. Yeah. Thank you for that. We're done. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> Good night. Um, all right, so you were a performer on Broadway. Da, 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 Let's da. talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, I'm dying to know what kind of, not kind of, what sparked that passion? Mm -hmm. How early did it start? Mm -hmm. uh, and then give us a little bit of the journey that took you to that high level. So fourth grade. I'm eight or nine. I'm on the floor of my mom's bathroom. She's in the shower. <laughs> We're reading the Tallahassee Democrat, just a paper, old newspaper. And I see an ad for a place called Young Actors Theater. And I was like, oh, mom, I'm going to need to go here. I'm going to be an actress. And it was like, I saw the ad and my whole life just went like, <sighs> like, oh, that's what I'm here to do. <laughs> it was what so incredible marketing. <laughs> <laughs> and but so then this place is this sweet theater it's like this giant pink building in the middle of you know i'm basically from florabama 
and it was outrageously talented um, teachers and community. And I got to study voice and dance and acting since fourth grade. And then my high school in Tallahassee, Florida, even though it was a public school, we had these amazing like top-notch production musicals. Oh. We would do a spring musical, like $40,000 budgets for our public high school oh, wow. musical. My dad <laughs> helped us make it rain on stage and singing in the rain. And so I remember my first musical in ninth grade, that's when I was like, this is what I'm gonna do with my life. And so I started auditioning for musical theater programs and I ended up going to Florida State, which is in Tallahassee, which I never thought I would stay, but I made money going to school. Um, like I, I didn't want to start a career as an actress in debt. And so I was like, let me just get as many scholarships as I can. And then I moved to New York six weeks before September 11th, but my oh, second wow. day, so before, and Broadway shut down. Like the only thing that kept running was like Phantom or something. Like most Broadway shows couldn't survive the lack of tourism. So I was so lucky that I moved to New York three weeks before September 11th. My second day here, I booked my first gig, which was a tour. So it took me out of the city. And then, um, and then you know, Broadway shut down for a while. So a lot of my friends who graduated at the same time as me started their career unemployed. Whereas I was like, got my equity card. I got to play Radio City Music Hall. And then I worked pretty much nonstop. I went from show to show to show for about 10 years and had an amazing career. It was so fun. And then I found meditation and here we are. <laughs> wow. wow, that is cool. Yeah. Holy cow. I moved to New York in October after seven September 11th. So we were. We oh, were you moved right time. after. I know. Bizarre, like, you know right? where I want to be? <laughs> New York City. <laughs> That's where I want to be. Yeah. It yeah, actually exactly. was really special here, I think. Like there it was. was. My mom was so worried and I was like, mom, it's not going to happen again. You know what I mean? Like, I actually think it's probably the right. safest the place safest. you could be. Exactly. And, and I really enjoyed, like there was a coherence and an intimacy and a vulnerability and a, yeah. and a compassion in the city that I have not felt before and I haven't felt since. But I remember I was waiting tables that day and I just gotten my, you know, my first waitressing job. And like the second day, like no one could make it in. And so it was my like second day training and they just put me on the floor and I had instead of a seventh of the restaurant I had half of the restaurant <laughs> and I did a lunch shift and then halfway through the manager's like Emily can you take the night shift and I just like did a single tear and I was like sure <laughs> yes <laughs> oh, it was a wild time wow mm -hmm. so you so you get off Broadway mm -hmm. you find meditation how did that happen well, I actually found meditation while I was on Broadway. So okay. I was understudying three lead roles in a chorus line, which is very stress inducing. Um, found this practice, it cured my insomnia on the first day. I was going gray in my twenties. I stopped going gray. I didn't get sick for eight and a half years. And I just thought like, why isn't everyone doing this? What was it and how'd you find it? <laughs> Um, so my, the friend named Dion, she was sitting next to me in the dressing room, had a way harder job than I did, but crushing it. And I was like, girl, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. And I was like, God, you know, rolled my eyes. <laughs> and, and then finally I was just sucking at my job so bad that I was like, I got to have some of what she's having. So she said, Hey, my teacher's in town. And so I took a four day course. It was about an hour and a half a day for four days. Um, and then after the first day of the first course, I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. And it changed my life so dramatically that I was like, I gotta, I mean, I am the type of person when I find something, I am like, why isn't everyone doing this? Like, I can't help, but shout it from the rooftops. Uh -huh. So then I left Broadway and I went to India and I started a three-year training process to be a teacher. And then I started Ziva and uh, it's been a wild ride to be able to translate those skills 
that I had from singing and dancing and acting and performing and then to translate that into meditation, which at the time, it's hard for people to believe or remember this or people under 40 to even understand it is that like meditation truly used to be weird and taboo. Like yeah. there was no yeah. headspace. There was no Oprah Chopra. There was no calm. There was no, like Tim Ferriss wasn't talking about it on every podcast. So right. it was weird then. Like my ex-husband would not tell people I was a meditation teacher at cocktail parties because he like thought he just didn't want them to like judge me. Freak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. it got so popular so quickly that he stopped telling people because he knew he'd never see me again because people would just be like interrogating me all night. <laughs> That's right. Today's episode is sponsored by Athletic Brewing Company, America's leading non-alcoholic craft brewer. Have you been thinking about cutting back on alcohol but still aren't sure if near beers are for you? Check out Athletic Brewing, the most decorated non-alcoholic brewer in the world. Athletic produces a wide selection of great tasting brews, including IPAs, Goldens, Darks, Lights, Sours, and more. Their non-alcoholic beers have won over 70 awards and are fit for all time, so you can drink them anytime and anywhere. Now you can enjoy great tasting craft brews all night long and still be ready for whatever life throws at you tomorrow. Right now, new Athletic customers can receive 20% off their first order when they visit athleticbrewing.com and use the code CP20 at checkout by August 31st, 2023. I selfishly want to know about your three years in India. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so just to be super transparent, I was not in India for three years. My training was super intense and was yeah. three years. I was not in India that whole time. So the first time I went to India, I think I have it here. This is great for audio, everybody. I'm just showing you a book. Um, so it's called the Upanishads. I went to study the Upanishads, which are um, like an ancient, ancient poems, an ancient collection of poems. And the definition of an Upanishad is that the theme means that there's only one thing and we're all it. So that the theme of the poem speaks to this idea of unity. And that is the most foundational concept from the Vedas is that there's only one thing and we are all it. And that one thing is consciousness. So I went there originally just to study for myself. And then I had this wild moment where, I mean, whatever, I guess I'll just rear out a podcast and tell the story. Um, yeah. So I was in LA, it was my second city on tour for course line and I was super hepped up on meditation and I was just like I gotta learn everything I can I gotta find everyone I can so I was like googling like group meditations and so I found someone he's like sure come on over Wednesday night we're having group meditation I show up it's just him and his girlfriend and I was like well this is not really the group meditation experience I was seeking but okay <laughs> and I go in I'm like meditating with one eye open I've got my my purse on my lap like are they serial killers and then I realized they weren't and I surrendered in had a great meditation and afterwards I opened my eyes and I see this, I don't know if it's a photo or a painting or what, but it's this bridge with a light at the end of it. And I said, what is that? And they said, that's Rishikesh. And I was like, what's a Rishikesh? And they said, oh, that's this town in India. Um, we're going for a retreat in February. Are you going? And I was like, no. <laughs> yep. I look at the photo. And I look back at them and I said, yeah, I'm going to go. So cut to six months later, I, I turned 30. I took myself there as my 30th birthday present to myself. And every morning we would go and we would meditate on the banks of the Ganges River. And so this one when we're going, we're crossing this bridge and I stop in my tracks because I see the exact same snapshot of this bridge with the light on the other side. It's the sun <laughs> rising oh on the other God. side. And I start weeping, I start sobbing, crying because I know that the me and that moment 
went back to the me in LA and was like, you have to come here. You have to teach this. Like it felt like this dharmic imperative where it's like, you have to take your skills. And I'd say my superpower is translating esoteric concepts to people in a way that makes it attractive and relatable to a more mainstream audience. And so while there was certainly like many factors at play, I feel really proud of the role that I played in bringing meditation into the mainstream. Mm. I'm, mm. A, I'm a big non-dual guy. I'm I'm vibing right now. I'm, yeah, I'm, let's talk unity. Let's get I'm in there. In. I'm in. I am you. You are me. <laughs> Love it. All right, Ziva. I mean, let's let's do it. Let's do it. The, the, Give it to us. Yeah, I mean, I've got a quite. I got questions to spark it off, but just spark it off. Like, how did you come up with it? I mean, I, I get the trifecta. I get the. I get it. But like, dig. Let's let's hear it. Yeah. So I was actually finishing my teacher training and I was like sort of building the company while I was finishing my training. And my ex-husband, he was my boyfriend at the time, but he was like, just make up a word. And I was like, I'm not going to make up a word for a company. He's like, well, Google, Akamai, Yahoo. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so, and then I was in meditation and I had this thought of like, oh, what about the Sanskrit word for bliss? And so I went after the meditation and I Googled Sanskrit words for bliss. It turns out there's 14 of them. And which I love, which is very indicative of a culture, right? Like in Inuit languages, there's 14 words for snow. In Russian, there's 10 words for blue. And it's, oh. it's another podcast for another time, but Russian people who speak Russian can see more shades of blue than non-Russian speakers. Oh. Um, it, like their language impacts our consciousness. And so it's very indicative of the culture that there's 14 different flavors of bliss. Um, but Ziva specifically is a Sanskrit word that means one who is radiant or kind. And then it's also a Hebrew, no. So Sanskrit for bliss, but Hebrew for one who is radiant or kind. And, and it's also a feminine name. And I liked Good to, find. I liked the idea that I could like bring femininity into, um, again, great for audio. I'm just doing a lot of visuals here. Um, I got video too. <laughs> um, <laughs> historically a very male dominated um, lineage and, and, um, tradition and so i liked infusing some femininity into that huh. so tell us about the process yeah so when a lot of people hear the word meditation they think i gotta clear my mind i have to sit totally still they think is it headspace or calm you know which app am i using to have someone else guide me through an experience <laughs> this has become our modern day definition of meditation and so a lot of what i do now is is just help people to redefine that word um, because most of the apps most of the youtube videos are actually teaching what i would call mindfulness i would define mindfulness as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment right it's the art of bringing yourself into the now and it's really good at creating a state change Whereas Ziva is all about a trait change. Ziva is all about healing you on a cellular level. Ziva is giving your body rest that's five times deeper than sleep. Ziva is helping you access a verifiable fourth state of consciousness, which is different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming. And so the really important distinction here is that in mindfulness, you're focusing. So anytime someone's guiding you through something, anytime you're visualizing your chakras or visualizing a waterfall or visualizing white light pouring down through your head, that's all beautiful, powerful, but I'm still putting that in the category of mindfulness. Again, where we're directing our focus. Yeah. Whereas the meditation portion of Ziva is all about letting go. It's surrendering. It's about a simultaneity of consciousness. And it's about, it's based on something called Nishkam Karma Yoga, which means union attained by action, hardly taken or lazy meditation. And so when people say, well, I can't clear my mind, I'm like, great, 
that would mean you're dead. Okay. The only time the brain flatlines is when we're dead. So the point of Ziva is not to clear the mind. The point of Ziva is to get good at life. And so how do you know if you're good at life? Your sleep gets better. Your sex gets better. Your immune system is stronger. You're more creative. You're more present. You have more energy to play with your kids. You're more innovative at work. Like these are not like, you don't need a bio data marker tracker headpiece to tell you if you're getting better at life. You know, it's just like, you just are yeah. better at life. Like I don't need, I don't need a tracker to tell me that this thing cured my insomnia or that my sex is better. Yeah. Um, so those are the two like first components. So Ziva technique is three M's mindfulness, meditation and manifesting. And the two mindfulness, I'd say is very ubiquitous. Like people get that meditation, especially that I teach it is a little bit harder for people to understand because it's hard to understand rest that isn't sleep or that you could possibly just close your eyes and sort of chill and then have the equivalent of an hour and a half nap and then increase your brain elasticity on the other side and increase your productivity on the other side. But then the third M is manifesting which I would define as consciously creating a life you love. It's you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. And what I found is that the combination of meditation and manifesting is so much more powerful than either one alone, right? Cause you can meditate mm -hmm. all day, but if you are not clear on what it is that you want, it's very hard mm -hmm. for nature to give you the thing. And conversely, you could manifest all day. You could line your walls with vision boards and watch the secret on repeat. But if your nervous system is riddled with stress, then you actually don't believe that you deserve your desires. And we don't get what we want in life. We get what we believe we deserve. And so when you're meditating every day, twice a day, not only is it reminding you of that non-duality, not only is it allowing you to experience viscerally that you are actually the wave pretending to be the ocean, but you're also getting rid of that backlog of stresses, which helps you to start to increase what I call deserving power, right? You actually start to believe that you deserve those desires. And then it's much easier to sort of tune yourself to the frequency of the dream if you speak those sorts of hippy-dippy languages. Yeah. Do you, for, for that meditation piece, do you teach a mantra? Is there like a, yeah. a mantra involved with that? Okay. Yes, we do use a mantra at Ziva, but that term mantra is very confusing for folks because... Yeah, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so mantra now in the wellness industry has come to mean slogan. Like it's Mantra Mondays yeah. and our mantra is we deserve abundance or I'm a strong, angry woman. And, and those are more slogans, okay? <laughs> or those are like log lines. Um, whereas the term mantra is a Sanskrit word. Man means mind, trap means vehicle. So these are mind vehicles and they're custom designed to take you from your left brain waking state into your right brain state of being, right? So not to get too technical, but most thoughts go from nothingness into somethingness. They go from the unmanifest into the manifest. These mantras go the other way. They're going to go from the manifest into the unmanifest. So when I give them to people, you know, I just finished a course yesterday where I was giving them one-on-one. -on -one. So I'll say them out loud. And then I have the person say it back to me out loud. And then it goes softer, 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 silently, like we're planting a seed. And then that little mantra continues to bury itself. It continues to de-excite the nervous system. And it's not hocus pocus. It's not magic. It's based on a branch of science called cymatics, C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S, which is the science of sound. And there's some cool YouTube videos there out there about cymatics, where you basically, they'll take like a sheet of metal and they'll pour a blob of sand on it. And then they'll play music at a certain frequency. And that blob of sand starts to take these beautiful sacred geometric shapes and patterns. Or they'll play it with a violin bow and it will change, it will change shapes like a snowflake. And so you see that just frequency, like just sound can actually create sacred order inside of something. And it certainly can happen inside of our bodies. 
And so what the point of the mantra is actually to de-excite the nervous system. When you de-excite something, you create order. We create order in our bodies. Then the lifetime of accumulated stress can start to come up and out. And that is why Ziva is such a powerful tool at helping you to be better at life. Because it's actually that backlog of stress that's making us stupid, sick, and slow. And when you get rid of that, you start to be faster, you start to be smarter, you start to be healthier, you start to be more fun because that stress costs us a lot. Just for our listeners out there, I mean, this stuff is starting to be studied clinically and and we're starting to figure out that, that the stuff that the ancient you know, civilizations have been using for thousands of years yeah. was actually way more advanced than way. That's exactly right. I mean, I have have anything we've ever had. Yeah. Medication. Yeah. I said in my class yesterday, I was like, we've been studying this thing for about 6,000 years. I think they've been studying (laughs) Zoloft for about 16, you know, and and I have a bunch of friends that are in Egypt right now. And it's like, Egypt is coming in hot. Like what are those codes that we had for this piece? I have another friend who just discovered a new chamber inside one of the underneath one of the pyramids. And he's like, oh, this is the throat chakra of the planet. He's a mathematician, by the way, and a scientist. And then they like measured the dimensions of the entrance of the chamber. And it's the exact same dimensions as the larynx, as a human oh larynx. <laughs> it's like, what? This and it's insane. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's cool to watch like the ancient and the future meet. And, and so Andrew Huberman, who's like, you know, podcasting king right now, oh, he, yeah. wrote, um, he wrote the forward to my book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. And we also did a course together called Mastering Your Brain. And the reason why we even met is that I was on stage giving a talk in Greece. And I said, he, his Wi-Fi wasn't working in his hotel room. So the only reason he was even at my talk is that he just needed Wi-Fi. So he came to the conference. <laughs> and then I'm up on stage, like talking about meditation and manifesting. And I said, I was like, well, thank goodness we're living in a day and age where neuroscientists are starting to catch up to what these Indian dudes have been saying for 6,000 yep. years. And he was like, yeah. huh? He's like, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> and then he sort of banged attention and then we became friends um so anyway it's it is fun to live in in this time where science and spirit don't feel so separated anymore and i think that the the potential ramifications of that are actually like why i'm having this feeling again of like why isn't everyone doing this like first time it was meditation and i could tell that something big that this was going to be big for me personally but i could also feel that it was going to be big for the species that we would need that mental buttressing to go through the amount of change that we're now facing as a species. And now it's happening again around sacred sexuality. And and when I say that like science and spirit are starting to intersect, what I hypothesize, and I don't know that this is true, but my hypothesis is that when people start to see that science and spirit are not separate, that actually like sexuality is not separate from divinity, that a lot of the shame and cultural conditioning that we have ingested in our cells or that we've inherited from previous generations, that that will start to fall away. At least that is my prayer. Wow. Wow. Do you know Dr. Elisa Hallerman? Do you know that name? No. She she wrote a book called Soulbriety. Ooh. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And it's very much her, her method on, on, you know, attacking addiction and dependency and and behavior issues Mm -hmm. from, from the soul and from the subconscious and from the spirit. Uh, It's super fascinating. But what I love is that hearing your method in Ziva and, and the way that you explain it and the way that you started this talk was with the word healing. And, and it's just very much sounds like it's a healing for everything. I mean, this practice you're talking about sounds like it could heal 
all woes. Well, I mean, that's why I, I was like, hello, everyone. Like, hello, why aren't you doing <laughs> right. this? Because I was like, wait, I found the key. Like, I found the yeah. key. The thing yeah. you're looking for the is here. The solution, I've got it. Yeah. I'm not kidding, I've got it. Like your addiction, your insomnia, your depression, your anxiety, your low sex drive, your immune system, like this is it. And when people are like, wait a minute, Emily, you sound like a used car salesman. Like why, how could it possibly do this, 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 and this? Try it. <laughs> and it's like, well, think about the ripple effect of stress. Think about all of the ways that stress is negatively impacting you. And the trick is that it's an it's a impossible question to answer because we're all the goldfish swimming in the tank. We can't see the stress because we're swimming in it. We don't even know what it looks like to live in a body and a society that is acting in accordance with nature. And by the way, stress is not just a mental phenomenon. Every time you've taken a plane ride, anytime you've eaten a mango in the winter time, anytime you've used fluorescent lights or slept in past sunrise, this it stresses your body. It costs your body something to adapt to modern society. And so our stress debt is so high and it's so common that we can't even really see or conceptualize what it would feel like to truly be living in harmony and symbiosis, one with our own internal rhythms and also with the planet. And so, but, but here's just a short list of how stress is impacting us. Uh, insomnia, infertility, erectile dysfunction, immune function, autoimmune disorders, obviously anxiety and depression, premature aging, hormonal imbalance, um, any number of isms, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd love to talk about that too, of like how most of us are, most addictions are looking to solve an external problem that actually needs an internal solution. And right. that's why it just becomes insatiable. You just need more and more because it's not actually solving the root cause. And the thing about meditation is that it is, it's bringing that root cause into balance. And that's why the ripple effect of benefits is so profound. Stressed debt. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel, I feel that. <laughs> you feel a stress debt? No, no, no. I just, I feel that. I, I, I like that term. Yeah. yeah. It's collective. Like I, 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 it's good stuff. Well, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say unavoidable. But that's kind of the way that you explained it is living in a mm -hmm. modern society and, and just, you know, the, the rat race and the wheel that we're on. That's it's just com composed of stress. But it's it, yeah. it's or a good stressors. It's a good mm -hmm. way to articulate what's actually going on. That could be, a, you know, motivation that healing does need mm -hmm. to take place. Like we are in debt and this stuff is building and building and building and building. Yeah. And, you know, it. It's clear as day to me, it's, and, and you guys too, I'm sure, it's like all the issues on our planet are caused by it. We do stupid shit when we don't feel good. Oh, yeah. I love you know. that. You should tweet that out. We do stupid <laughs> shit when we don't feel good. Yeah. It's, it's, right. Yeah, I mean, I, that talk line. that I was talking about where I met Andrew Huberman, it was called How to Save the World in Two Simple Steps. You want to know what the <laughs> steps are? Yeah. Okay, step one, meditate in the morning. Step mm -hmm. two, Meditate in the afternoon. Meditate in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds simple, but like, I really, I will stand by it because I was basically looking at like, what are the three biggest threats to the species? And obviously they've changed to some degree, but one of them is certainly climate change. And it's like, and that is, a, it's its own addiction to consumption, right? It's right. like, if we're just, if we're trying to consume our way to happiness, you know, more food, more money, more travel, more experiences, more clothes, more, 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 then it's like, we're, we're sucking the planet dry. 
And, and if we instead can start to fill ourselves up from the source of bliss, from the source of happiness, if we can flood our own brains and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals, then we stop needing that external validation. We stop thinking like, I'll be happy when X happens. And getting out of that I'll be happy when syndrome, I'd say is one of the most beautiful benefits of this practice. Like it really viscerally transforms you from being like what I call a bag of need looking to be fulfilled and turns you into fulfillment looking for need. And then to get to go through life from that place of like, how can I deliver my fulfillment is so much more enjoyable. And then paradoxically, we get so much more of what we actually want. Yeah. Gives you purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't feel like a martyr. Yeah. Tell us about Ziva Kids. Oh, would be delighted. <laughs> so um, I have a son, he's four. And I don't know if it was when I was pregnant. I think when I was pregnant, I was getting the hit. And this was even pre-pandemic. So I didn't know, like, I didn't understand like what was going to happen to kids not going to school and being homeschooled and Zoom and all of that. Just like the extraordinary, talk about stress debt, you know, that our children have paid going through these transitions. Um, <clears throat> but I worked for two years with folks from Sesame Street and um, child psychologists at Harvard. And we created this beautiful training for four to 14 year olds. It's two separate courses. One is for four to eight and the other one is nine to 14. And it teaches them the Ziva technique. It teaches mindfulness, meditation and manifesting, but with the help of my very good friend, Z Bunny, who is a puppet that we built with the <laughs> Sesame Street team. And, and Z Bunny is basically training to be a superhero. And every day, obviously it's hard to be a superhero as so he has these challenges. And so I'm, I'm like his mom's best friend. And so he comes to me and I teach him tools that he can do to like handle the challenges and really to feel his feelings. And then every day he gets a new badge. And then by the end he gets his cape. And then the kids are learning the skills along, along with Z-Bunny. And it's, it's really, I'm so proud of this course. It's so good. I, I had a client yesterday because I was doing, you know, adult classes yesterday. And she said to me that her 11 year old daughter has been meditating every single day for four months straight. Oh and I was God. like, to have an 11 year old meditate every day feels like a big accomplishment. Totally. <laughs> where, Holy cow. where can we find Ziva kids? I swear to God, I think I've, I think I saw like that Sesame street bit. Cause when I saw you and Robbie said that you were coming on and I, mm -hmm. I saw your picture, I was like, I haven't seen her before. And I thought, I think it was now that you brought that up. I think it was on the Sesame street thing. Oh, cool. So you can get it. It's just at zivameditation.com slash kids. It's just on our site. It's yeah. a kid's course, self-contained. And, but probably like we did a pretty big launch around it. I mean, there's probably like, I don't know, 15,000 people that came to our big event. And so I was definitely like in the zeitgeist then. And also not that many people were creating that much stuff, but because yeah. I had already started it, I think I launched yeah. it in middle of 2020 or 2021. And I think people were just sort of like a little shell-shocked. There were a lot of new initiatives and I was kind of locked and loaded and ready, ready to go with hmm. it. So there's a, it's very interesting that this, this came up with you that we've literally on the other side of this wall is a meditation teacher and, and guide. And, and he has a partner who's a friend of mine and we had a conversation and they're trying to teach meditation to kids in schools, cool. uh, all in the Charlotte. So we're in Charlotte, North Carolina. So they're, mm. they're, you know, all around this area trying to get into all the public schools and, and I was talking to her about what the mission was. And it was just so, I mean, the, the ripple effect that you keep speaking of, mm -hmm. of teaching kids to go inward and, and learn who they are and what they are, as opposed to the thinking brain and what society is telling them they are, is just invaluable. I would love to hear 
you rant on that. <laughs> yeah. So my, the thing that I get on a soapbox around with kids, I mean, I, I could talk for days about why meditation, why meditation is important for kids. Um, but, but really what I get so lit up about with Ziva kids specifically is that in addition to teaching mindfulness, meditation and manifesting, and by the way, I'm not having kids like sit still for 20 minutes. Like it's very active. They're moving and it's giving both the kids and the families a shared vocabulary on how to feel their feelings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is simple, but I mean, I'm 44 years old, y'all. And I've, I've had access to some of the most cutting edge world-class healers on the planet. And I feel like I'm just now learning how to feel my feelings. <laughs> like, yep, yeah. It's like, what, how, how, how did we forget this? And yeah. why on earth have we been training everyone since they come out of the womb to shh, 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 don't yeah. cry, have a bottle, don't cry, have a toy, don't cry, have a snack, have an iPad, have some booze, have some pot, have some coffee, have some benzo bloggers, have some, have some anti-anxiety, have some anti-depression anti meds, but don't feel. Yeah. Like whatever you do, do not feel because I don't feel comfortable when you're feeling your feelings. That's right. And that's what we, that's like what parenting is, right? It's like sh anything we can do to appease our children. They fall down, they're bleeding. We run over to them. We're like, are you okay? You're okay. You're okay. And it's like, no, they're not. They're bleeding. Yeah. They're hurt. They're, they're scared. Hurt. Like acknowledge the pain, sit with the pain, be resilient enough as an adult so that you know how to sit with and honor your child's pain. And I get like really lit up about this because, you know, now I have a four-year-old and so I'm, I'm in these circles and I see teachers and other parents and even just on the street, like, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And instead what you're doing when you say that is like, you're putting your agenda of that you hope your child is okay versus like just sitting in and be like, oh, you fell down and your knee's bleeding. Did it hurt? Was it scary? You know, you, you can just be, you can, and I call it sports casting. This is a rye method where you just sports cast. What happened? Oh, your brother took your toy. How did that make you feel? Oh, he still got your toy. You're yelling. Mm-hmm. Did that, how did, did that make you angry? <laughs> right. And just naming it. And it's so simple, but I think if we, if we can help our kids to do it, then they don't have to spend $175,000 in therapy for 10 years, which is by the way, the math on $200 a week of therapy to unlearn that conditioning and then learn how to feel their feelings. So as Diva kids, basically we're teaching people that their big feelings are called stormies. So sad stormy, mad stormy, and scared stormy. And they literally show up as storm clouds. And I love this imagery of stormies because it's indicating a few things. One, that every storm runs out of rain, right? That's the Maya Angelou quote. Every storm runs out of rain, that it's not going to be here forever. And two, that the sun is always shining. If you go up above the stormies, like that sun is always there. And similarly, that bliss is always available inside of us. And those clouds, those big feelings will come and go. And so it's giving people tools to name that and then to like shake and do power poses and, and then to like come home to themselves and even to manifest where they have, I have Z bunny ask them, like, how would you love to feel today? That's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, even just, even just the concept of, of, of the stormies and the sun is always shining. Yeah. Like for a child to grasp that. And yeah. be able to internalize that and map that onto their own experience as they're growing up is, I mean, that in and of itself would change the world. 
I 1 zillion percent agree. And now my son and I, every night we, we play rosebud thorn. And so it's like, what was the rose of your day? What was the thorn of your day? And what was the bud of your day? So that every day we're not just sharing, like, what was the best part of your day? Like we're sharing yep. like the, the, our favorite part, the, the ouchiest part. That's like the thorn is like the ouchiest part of your day. And then the bud is something that you're working on. And so I think it's really important that we instill like the importance of failure, the importance of struggle. Yeah. So otherwise we all end up with that growth mindset where we just want to get the straight A and the gold star all the time. Better, mm. better, better. Mm. Mm. Never enough. Mm. Mm. Oh God. I hate that. We're going to have to wrap this. Um, <laughs> We still yeah, got some time. Do this again. We still got some time. Um, all right. So let's let's in the in the spirit of our podcast where we try to bring in the topic of alcohol. Um, you know, it it seems almost obvious kind of where this conversation would go if we bring alcohol into it. But I do want to hear your side, especially or specifically because you mentioned uh, from vodka to Veda. Um, so tell us a little bit about that mm -hmm. and kind of your stance on or or, or perspective on on you know, the, what we know about alcohol, what we know we use alcohol for mm -hmm. and what it's blocking. Yeah. So I guess I'll start by saying that I, I love drinking. I love it. I think it's so fun. I love champagne. Oh, it's the best. It's so great. <laughs> and I love it so much. I haven't done it in 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it so much. And it's poison. You know, it's, it's, poison just <laughs> yeah. period the end and period. so and my role with drugs is that if the pros outweigh the cons then have fun but the trick is that oftentimes <laughs> we don't know all the cons right and oftentimes as we get older the cons change and if the thing is altering our state of consciousness so much that we then become unaware or incapable of seeing the cons then it gets really tricky to start to discern um, but so my book from, by, by the way, I said, when I say book, I'm going to use air quotes because it's Got basically it. a word document on my computer, but it is the first book that Publish I ever that wrote. Shit, please <laughs> Publish it. Um, I really like, <laughs> I think this thing is so good and I've pitched it to so many publishers and they're just like hard note. Now, by, by the way, my book did very, very well. We debuted at number seven out of all books on Amazon. I am like other, I have publishers waiting for another book for me. This one, they could give a flying flip about. And I'm like, you guys are missing. Like, I really, this is another one. I'm like, why isn't everyone doing this? Because the concept oh. in From Vodka to Veda is like that hedonists actually make the best spiritualists. And that if you're reaching to vodka, if you're reaching to the Vedas, by the way, the Vedas are the, an ancient body of knowledge that stems from Northern India. It's a human interpretation of natural law. And whether or not you're reaching to vodka or the Vedas, that the desire is the same. The desire is for an increased sense of aliveness, for an increased sense of unity. And oftentimes when we use alcohol, like, you know, y'all know this better than anyone, I'm sure, but it's, it's diminishing your consciousness. It's actually killing the neurons in your brain, which is what the buzz comes from. So you're diminishing consciousness, which weirdly is like shaving off parts of your individuality, which is why I think it's easier for people to find unity or connection or vulnerability when they're both um, inebriated, right? Because it's like, we're not so spiky on the wave. We're not so attached to our individuality. It diminishes us a little bit. It softens us a little bit so that we feel more connected to that unity. So it's easier for us to connect to other people, but it's not sustainable and it's not lasting because then we go back up into the, the, the pointy part of the individuality, um, <clears throat> which is different from my understanding than like other psychedelics. Right. Where it's like, then you're increasing neuroplasticity and like the, the brain starts to fire on all cylinders, which is a very different phenomenon. And yet in our society, we've just lumped everything into the same category. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I use the example a lot of times with alcohol, specifically with, in relation to or in comparison to the psychedelics where, you know, you can drink and have a great experience and it can be fun and it can be the greatest night of your life. And then you wake up the next day and it's like you kind of trying to piece it together a little bit. And, it was, you know, I remember little bits of that. And I remember that experience, but I can't really feel it again. It was kind of in the moment. Whereas psychedelics, you remember it all. Mm -hmm. And it has a long-lasting effect. So that's the whole mm -hmm. point of, you know, people using it for treatment, for addiction, and, and some serious trauma stuff where it, you're creating new, new pathways in your brain yeah. as a result of your experience under that, that influence, yeah. which is just fascinating compared to what we feel when we're, when we're drinking. Totally. And, and, I've, and I think it's worth mentioning that I've had, I've been shocked by how many people have like habits that they didn't want have just fallen away. Um, like they stop biting their nails. They forget to turn on their coffee machine after two weeks. They used to drink two or three cocktails at a party. Maybe they have one. They used to smoke a joint every night before bed. That just doesn't feel charming anymore. So what I love about this style of meditation is that because it's really like nourishing you from the source, because you truly are changing your internal pharmacology, you're changing your internal biochemistry, then the actual impulse to reach for the external thing that gets changed with Ziva. So it's not like you have to even white knuckle the transformation. It really starts to fall away because you are filling yourself up from the source. So I've had so many people be like, yeah, I just haven't actually just yesterday, someone posted in the comments of the course. She's like, I stopped smoking pot the day that I graduated from Ziva. I didn't drink. I stopped drinking after the course. And so I hear this a decent amount. And I do believe that meditation is like an important part of, of recovery programs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The need goes away. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Healing happens and the need goes away. Well, mm. and many, many call it a spiritual malady. Uh, most addiction is from a spiritual, you know, illness. Do y'all talk so about aces here? Have y'all gone on the ace bandwagon yet? Have you Tell heard us. of that? It's a, a adult, um, sorry, adverse childhood experience. It's an ACE score. And the, the, oh. um, the Surgeon General of California has really started to popularize this and, and they're doing ACE tests in um, schools because it's basically like, so you, there's a number of questions of like, you know, were you physically abused? Were you sexually abused? Did, did you have one or more parents that was, you know, whatever, there's like a, a series of like trauma indicators and you can predict like with like 99% certainty, like if you have more than a five on the ACE scale, you're likely for some sort of addiction. Your likelihood for addiction is like a hundred percent. Oh yeah. And yeah. so it's like, but, and we all kind of know this intuitively, but we haven't really been able to document it. And now that there is starting to be more standardized questioning around this ACE score, I think it's going to be part, like a more accepted part of society. So instead of like judging it or shaming it or being like, it's your fault, we're going to see that this is just a symptom of really like a, a cultural conditioning. And, and it shows us like where we have things that are out of balance inside of our society. Pain indicator. Pain indicator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you wouldn't shame someone in pain, right? Someone fell down, broke yeah. their leg. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Oh, just throw them in God. prison. Dummy. <laughs> That'll heal them. Yeah. That'll It'll fix Punish it. them. Shame and yeah. punishment. Yeah. Punish. Yeah. yeah. Discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, so your book absolutely crushed it. Um, you got Dr. Mark Hyman. You got Dr. Huberman on there. Killing it. So hey. I think I I, I think so we cool. need to start a publishing company so we can publish. <laughs> yeah, we need to publish your book. <laughs> yeah, so the book's called "Stress Less, Accomplish More," and it's basically yeah. like the why to meditate. 
I got, I really cover the science of, of the, what I call the selfish reasons why we meditate. And then um, the second part, I actually teach a technique in there. And then the third part looks at a lot of what we're talking about. Like, yes, selfishly, we're going to make ourselves better, but then what's the ripple effect on your family, on your coworkers, and then ultimately on the species. And uh, yeah, the book really changed the game for me. And then a couple of years ago, I had a whole, you know, I feel like every few years we re reinvent ourselves. I think the whole world went through a bit of a reinvention, um, you know, a few years ago. And and now I'm getting into all these new like embodied manifesting tools. And it feels so exciting to get to like do again what I did for meditation, but now to do it with this even more potent and even more taboo medicine. Like, um, so yeah, it's exciting times. Very cool. Are you writing a new book? Do you have anything well, in the works? Not yet. My dream is actually that the podcast, so I'm, I'm launching my very own podcast very soon. Yeah. It's called, Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? And my dream is that the podcast starts to become like the workshop for it. Like, because yeah. I, I am a performer. I am an orator. I am an extrovert to the nth degree. And I workshop ideas out loud with people. Like the consciousness has to flow. And I taught live, you know, twice a month for 13 years. That's how I was able to workshop the materials for the book. And so my dream for the podcast is that I can do the same thing with these embodied manifesting tools and just to get to get the concepts and see how they land, see how they resonate. And then from that, that will be the basis of the new book. Mm -hmm. Do you do live workshops like right now? Yeah, like, I, I mean, do. Is there, like, can we come and like do like a retreat or like something? Like, yes, what, you can. How do we, <laughs> we can just go on your website and find yeah. all that information out. Yeah, so zivameditation.com. I do. I just did a live. I mean, live on Zoom was this past weekend, but I also am going to do live in person because you know you can take the girl out of Broadway, you cannot take the Broadway yeah. out of the girl. Like I just thrive. I want to go to India with humans. Oh yeah, we were thinking actually of our next retreat being um, up near Rishikesh in India. See, um, there you go, oh, instant Here's manifestation. Um, and then I do. I have a mastermind called Evidence of Magic, and it's only twenty six people, but it is co-ed, which is interesting. But we are working with sacred sexuality and using what I consider to be the most creative force that we have, using that energy to manifest your dreams. And so um, it's sort of edgy, you know, doing it with all genders. But um, so far, we've had really like outrageously kind, transformative, healing experiences because this is certainly an area where people have so much shame or trauma or taboo or just compartmentalization. And so it feels exciting to start to bring, like to merge spirituality with the thing that we've been told is so dirty or wrong or bad. Can you go a little deeper on that? We have seven minutes and I wanna know more about sacred sexuality. Yeah, so um, somebody was like, what is sacred sexuality? How could sex be sacred? Isn't Tantra. it- Tantra. Yeah, isn't <laughs> it just like a, a sin or, and some people get off on that. You know what I mean? Like there is the like, existential kink of like, I like the tabooness of it. And if that's your thing, then I don't want to take that away from you. But if you think about it, and what I'm really interested in is using your sexuality as a manifesting tool, because, you know, when you're in these heightened ecstatic states, the internal pharmacology is very similar to what you need to manifest. Like when I teach manifesting in the Ziva technique, we do it right after we meditate. And in meditation, yes, you're flooding the brain with dopamine and serotonin. So to manifest from that state, it's like very fertile ground to plant the seeds of your dreams. But then when you start to add sexual energy into the equation or what I call creation energy, you start to add um, norepinephrine, you start to add adrenaline, you start to add oxytocin. So it's like you take this manifesting pharmacology and you really turn up the dial. And again, it's happening internally. And so with, with specifically what I, I call pleasure prayer, where you're using your pleasure to pray, you get really clear on what it is that you would love. Like one thing that you would love to bring into fruition. And that might be 
sobriety, or that might be an amazing relationship or how present you want to be um, with your partner or a house, whatever, anything you want to create in your life. And once you get really clear on that image, then you start to move that energy from your root, from the sacrum, all the way up through the heart and then into the head. And at those moments of peak pleasure, at those moments of heightened ecstatic states, and then it's almost like you're dedicating that energy to the dream. You're dedicating it to the thing that you would love to create. And, and it's been a really profound practice for me personally in my dream. The vision I keep seeing is like tens of thousands of people in these heightened states, but collectively manifesting for the planet. Like, could we change the timeline of the species? And everyone's like, that's crazy, Emily. And I'm like, you know what's crazy? Is driving this bus off a cliff, which is what's currently <laughs> happening. <laughs> I don't think that getting a lot of people tapping into their divinity internally and praying for the planet is really that weird. Oh, we don't have time for that, though. <laughs> Look, I mean, so honestly, I didn't have time for that. Like, I thought pleasure was like, I'm too busy for pleasure. I got to stress less and accomplish more. And it honestly, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but it's true. It wasn't until I linked my ability to manifest what I want in my life with my pleasure that I started to really prioritize it, which is yeah. not, it's you know, it's more of a commentary on how much therapy I need, but I don't think I'm alone in that, right? That we just prioritize productivity over our joy, over our pleasure when it's so paradoxical because if we could just lean back and feel good and then you turn your hoo-ha on it becomes both the magnet and the generator for your dreams i'm waiting for your one-liner there you've got some good one-liners yeah i'm just soaking it all in I'm, i mean you're speaking my language here so i'm i'm dialed in i mean if anything comes out of this conversation you've got two guys that are going to dive into your program i know that yeah uh, this has been absolutely just inspiring, informative, motivating. Um, I don't, it, it's your, your energy is coming through and it's insane. It, it, it's very, very exciting. We're very excited about you and everything you're doing. Uh, and I'm even more excited about all of our listeners getting to hear this. Yeah. Um, this is going to blow people's minds and I'm, I'm super excited about it. Um, so thank you. Oh, truly. Lastly, <laughs> lastly, we've got two, two final questions. One, I'm not sure is applicable. Um, we can probably find a way though. It sounds like you do like drinking, but you're probably very intentional around it. You're probably very conscious of it and aware of it. That may have always been the case, or it may have been something that shifted in your life. I assume that's the, that, ladder is is what occurred so when that shift occurred and you became more intentional and more um aware of you know alcohol and its effects on you and your goals and strategies what are the three top things that occurred in your life the three benefits the values that occurred in your life as a result of of becoming more intentional around your alcohol use. Yeah, well, a huge one was when I learned to meditate. Because, you know, I was a Broadway showgirl, so I'd finish the show at 10. We'd go out drinking. Like, that's what yeah. we did. We'd drink till 1 in the morning. And then yeah. I go home, go to sleep at two, sleep till 10. And it's like terrible for your circadian rhythm. I look at photos of me in my twenties, right? So I'm 20 year old Broadway showgirl dancing eight shows a week, six days a week. And my face is like so puffy. And I was like, mm. I look like 20 pounds heavier than I am now at 44. Not that, you know, like looks is the reason to quit, but it's like, it's True. not a bad puffy. side effect, right? Of like, just like your whole body goes like, because you're not so puffy, you're not so inflamed actually. So you put poison in your body, your body gets inflamed to fight off the poison. 
So um, that was a big one. But honestly, when I started meditating, my tolerance changed so dramatically. And it's so funny, like in college, I went to Florida State University, number one party school in the world, Playboy, number one party school in the country when I was there. So it was like a point of pride, right? We're like, oh, she can drink you under the table. Like she drinks like a fish. Like it's it's like weirdly this like um, status symbol of how much poison you can ingest and not pass (laughs) out. And so I was, I was proud of that in my twenties and like how hard I could party. And then I started meditating and I was, I think 27 when I first learned and, and like, nobody warned me that like my tolerance would change. So like cut to just me blacked out on the dance floor, like not cute because when I used to be able to drink four or five cocktails, now I was like one or two. And that happened as a direct result of the um, like purification of my physiology. Like the the meditation is getting rid of the backlog of stresses from your past. That's purifying your body. So it takes much less of the thing in order to feel like you become a much cheaper date. And I even, I even advertise this where I'm like the amount of money you will save on cocktails alone will pay for your tuition to Ziva. And so it's, um, so that was a big one for me. was just like, my tolerance just changed. And I was like, oh, and then my looks changed. And I was like, I'm more attractive now. And I was like, great. Cause I'm at the end of the day, I'm nothing if not a narcissist. <laughs> Love it. All right. We, this is our power question. We ask everybody that comes on the show, the same question, Emily Fletcher, what do you care? Hmm. <laughs> why do I care? I, Tough one. I like, Tough I can't one. imagine not, I can't imagine yeah. not caring. Truly, like I can't even conceptualize it because it would be easier to not care. Oh, yeah. It'd be easy. I did just was talking to my roommate about this yesterday. I was like, well, if we are heading towards a mass extinction, like, I guess we should have, like, have a really good time like, on yeah. the way out. Right. An exit plan. Um, out with a bang. But I do think that having a good time for me includes caring for people. Like, you know, giving and receiving activates the same neurochemistry in the brain. So, you know, the more you care, the more you take actions that are loving like you're firing that same thing that you that you get when you receive blessings and gifts so i think selfishly i i like who i am when i care and i like the way that i feel perfect perfect emily fletcher you're an angel thank you for coming on my pleasure yeah this has been great i'm gonna i'm gonna be in touch for sure The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the host and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. Visit Patrick Balsley's practice, saunacounseling.com, Robbie Shaw's practice, eventiderecovery.com, or visit theblanchardinstitute.com.